Um, All right, so today we're going to go into John chapter 2, so you guys know, if you've been here, we're doing a series on the book of John. If you're new today, um, welcome. We're in the series in the book of John, so we're going to make it really easy for you. Uh, We're just going chapter by chapter, kind of hitting some of the highlights. Uh, Last week, I chose one of the longest chapters to try to preach every verse, and so we're not going to do that this week. We're preaching a short chapter, and I'm not going to hit every verse. Um, But this story is really cool. So the chapter... Chapter 2 of John is broken into two pieces. And and if you look at those two pieces, uh, you you can really see something that God might be wanting to do in our lives today. Um, And and you're going to see something that reflects back on John 1. If you'll remember last week I said, uh, or the Bible says, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we talk about that in church, grace and truth. Grace, that he wants to forgive us of our sins, but truth in that he's willing to point out the areas that need to be fixed in our life, right? That, that we don't just get away with whatever we want to get away with because we say a prayer, because we fill out a card, because we shake the preacher's hand. That doesn't give you a free pass to just do what you want. There's grace and truth in Christ. And so today, if you wanted to split this chapter, you could split it into two parts, a grace and a truth. You could split it another way, and we're titling the message today, um, conversion and cleansing. That there's two parts of this chapter that are important. And so, so today, that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to start uh, in, in verse 1. Um, the very first thing it says is, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. His disciples were there. His brothers were there. A whole group of people were there at a wedding. And so today, as we're, as we're going through this, I'm going to kind of hit the highlights on this first piece of the chapter. But the one thing I want to point out first and foremost is that they were at a wedding. And what happens at a wedding? At a wedding, you've got two completely different people becoming one, according to the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the Bible says in, in Genesis, and I don't have this in my notes, it says in, in the, the husband, the man will leave his family and cleave to his wife. Right? They become one person. And, and so this is a great image of what God wants to do through Christ in our lives. So this whole first part of the chapter is all about conversion. It's all about believing in Christ. It's all about becoming a Christian. And you're going to see that throughout. And the first illustration is the idea that they were at a wedding. They were at a wedding. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says this in verses 31 and 32. It says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church become one. The first part of conversion today is this idea that we have to leave an old life and we become one with Christ and we pick up a brand new life. We pick up a brand new life. Now, my wife and I had this argument for years whenever we first got married in that she wanted to keep her last name when we got married. And I said no. But she wanted to keep her last name in general. She wanted to be Perry Guy and I wanted to be... No, that's not... She wanted me to take her last name. No, I'm just kidding. Um, My wife wanted, we always talk about this a lot, and and, and I had friends of mine, uh, so she put her last name in the middle as a middle name or whatever, and she didn't hyphenate it or anything like that. She didn't do any of those kind of things. But we had some friends of ours one time, and and my buddy was from uh, West Virginia. And if you don't know West Virginia, um, if you think Alabama is, is a little bit redneck, then you've never been to West Virginia. It's not, Alabama is redneck, West Virginia is hillbilly. Right. And so I love West Virginia. I visited there quite a few times. And my buddy Keith, he was from West Virginia. And Keith just I mean, he said, Gabriel, he got married. He said, can you believe 
that these women nowadays want to put their last name as their middle name and they want to keep that last name? I said, yeah, Keith, that's pretty common. Like, that's what most people do. It's called a maiden name, and they still have it in there somewhere. He said, I can't believe that's not biblical. That's not godly. they got to leave and cleave. they got to leave and cleave. I said, well, actually, the Bible says you're the one that leaves and cleaves, so shouldn't you lose your last name? And he, oh, boy, he was just, he was all over that. He didn't like that at all. But, but that's the thing. What, one of the things, that, and one of the illustrations we're going to get here, and we're going to give you a couple of points of, of ways that, that this chapter illustrates salvation is the first way of salvation is that we leave our old life. And what we do a lot of times is we, we like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of, of, of salvation. But what we don't like is the idea of transformation. We don't like the idea of I'm going to leave my old life and I'm going to start something new. And so what we try to do is we try to get um, become one with Christ and still hold on to our past. But according to this, they were at a wedding. And when you're at a wedding, there's somebody leaving and somebody cleaving. The second thing that I want to point out as we read down, um, the Bible says that uh, they were at a wedding celebration. Verse 3 says the wine uh, supply ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not my problem. I love that. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, sons, you better not answer your mamas like that today. Okay? He's the son of God, and wherever my son is, you're the son of me, right? Very different people. You talk to your mama like that, you might get hit. Um, but, but the Bible says that Jesus said, it's not our problem, um, my time has not yet come. Just, just real quickly, a couple quick little nuggets there. Uh, the wine supply ran out um, in those days. That was a status symbol. At a wedding, you've got to keep the, the wine supply running. And when you run out of wine, it probably means that you're of low stature. Um, it, it would look very bad on the family that was giving the wedding. Okay? And so, so the, one, the mother of Jesus, Mary, she's like, hey, you've got to help these folks out. Right. And some scholars say that that this family that was getting married might have been a relative. And and so they're really invested in this personally. And Jesus says, it's not my problem. It's not my fault. They ran out of wine. But she says the Mary married the mother of Jesus. I want you to know something. Some people say she told Jesus what to do. She never told him what to do. She presented a problem and then she left it in his hands. And when we come to Christ, what do we need to do? We come to Christ. We present our issue and then we put it in his hands. It's called trusting, and we trust in Christ. As a matter of fact, the next thing the Bible says is that she told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love that. Do whatever he tells you. That he, she doesn't even bother with Jesus anymore. She just turns to the servants and says, y'all just obey. Whatever he says, he's got it under control. I'm going to leave the situation. And so she leaves everything in the hands of Jesus. And, and just a little note, whenever we come to Christ, the Bible says that we may not always be happy, Because happy is dependent on our circumstances, but we can have joy, and that joy never runs out, right? The wine may run out, but the joy that Jesus brings to our life will never run out, no matter how bad our situation is. So then verse 6, this is important. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each one could hold 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he now said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Um, whenever he, he presented it, here's what happened. They dipped out this water out of these stone jars. And guess what was inside? Everybody knows it was wine. 
It was wine. Now, now I've had some people kind of talk to me about this before. They said, well, how can the Bible says any man that gets his brother drunk is, is uh, you know, in danger of hellfire or whatever the case is. And so, so how can Jesus present wine? How can he give wine? Well, you, you do need to have an understanding. Just a quick little history nugget. Wine in these days and wine today are very different. Okay? In those days, um, wine wasn't just like abundant necessarily. I mean, they had a, a good bit of it. But what they did in those days is they watered it down. Um, one part wine, three parts water. So the wine there was not quite the same as what you get now. Even the good wine was one part wine, three parts water. And so I don't know anything about alcohol, so I did a little research. Turns out that's less alcohol than beer. So if you know how much alcohol is in beer, some of you guys are shaking your head way too hard, way too hard in church. Don't shake your head that much. Um, if you know how much alcohol is in beer, this wine was less than that. So chances are Jesus is not getting anybody drunk. But it also gives you an idea. I, I do want to point this out because later we're going to get into the temple. And I want to point something out. When we read about people getting drunk in the Bible, and the Bible says no drunkard will go into heaven, I need you to consider that in the context of their thought on wine... If wine is less alcoholic than beer, if it's, if it's three parts uh, water, one part wine, how much were people having to drink to get drunk? How much would you have to consume to be considered a drunkard? Think about that for a second. What that means to me is it shows the addictive power. That there was people, when he talks about that, he's not talking about somebody that just took a drink and then all of a sudden... No, he's talking about people that were consumed. So just a, a neat little thought as we move on in this message. So a couple of things I want to point out real quick. We're going to pause here. Is It says there were some jars, six stone jars. And now these jars were called ceremonial jars. They were used for, for washing. In, in other words, whenever you stepped into the house, you got to wash your hands, wash your feet. You got to cleanse yourself. And, and so that's what these jars were used for. Whenever you're dipping into these jars, you're kind of getting things Dirty. You're kind of getting clean, but the jars are getting dirty. And that's the jar that Jesus chose to make water into wine. I think that's very interesting. He could have said anything else. He could have taken a, a bottle. He could have taken a cup. But instead, he chose these ceremonial jars. And, and I just want to point out a couple of things. The ceremonial jars represent the law. And the wine represents the new covenant. The jars represent the old covenant. The wine represents the new covenant. And we read about this in Matthew 26. In verse 27, it says this, and he took a cup of wine and gave it to, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them um, and said, each of you uh, drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms a covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of many. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose those ceremonial jars. And what he's saying is, is, hey, number one, we're at a wedding. It represents the two becoming one. Our coming together with Christ, and then I'm going to take this old law, and I'm going to put new wine in it. I'm going to change things up, and this is another illustration of our salvation. Another neat thing about the jars is, uh, and I'm not, again, I said this last week, I'm not really a numbers guy. You know, there's some people out there that are all about the numbers in the Bible, um, numerology or whatever the case is. I don't really care that much about that. Um, I don't study that at all, but I do recognize whenever I've seen numbers in the Bible. And there is a place in the, in the book of Revelation where John says the number of man is six. And so I thought it was interesting that there was six stone jars and the number of man is six. And so this is a great illustration of how Christ came for us. 
He didn't come to lift himself up. He didn't come to promote himself. He came to save us. And the Bible says that in, in Matthew 20, 28. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Luke nineteen ten. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with... Nope, that's not what Luke nineteen ten says. I just messed that one up. Let's go to Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Do you have Luke 19.10, Maddie? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. No, I really butchered that one. Um, and, and so we wanna, I want to show you something. So number one, we're at a wedding. The wedding is the two coming together. Number two, there's six stone jars that get transformed. You got the old way, the water, the wine into wine, and that's our transformation that's happening, and it's, it's Christ coming for man. And then the third thing is this. So we're made, we become one, we're made new, and then the third thing is this, fully committed. We're fully committed. What does it mean to get saved? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to become a Christian? It means that I become one with Christ. It means that, that the old is made new, but it also means that I'm fully committed to him. And this is something I think we struggle with a lot of times. But the Bible says this. If, you, if we keep reading down, it, it says, fill the jars. Verse 9, it says, when the master of ceremonies came and tasted the water, um, and, it was not, and it was now wine, knowing that, where it had come from, uh, he called the bridegroom over. Verse 10, a host always serves the best wine first. And he said, uh, then with everyone, when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to pause right there. Believed in him. The word in him in the Greek actually means it doesn't mean they just believed on him. It doesn't mean they believed in his miracle. It means that they believed into him, which is a weird thing to say, but it means that they were fully submerged. Now, before, we've already read that they were called and they were, they were following. So they're already in his posse, but they were just in his posse like he was a really good teacher. Now, all of a sudden, they see him turn water into wine. And the Bible says that they believed into him. They were fully submerged in their belief. Have you ever seen somebody that was fully dug in to their belief on something? I mean, when they're fully engaged. We have, I, I talked about this last week about our two dogs and, and the one that, that would hold on to something and then one that easily lets go. And it's important that we're not the kind of people that easily let go when a problem comes, but we're fully engaged in the process. Perry and I were talking this week and, and we were talking about our kids and, and the future and, and what we've got going on. And, and, um, and sometimes it, it kind of I, I, as a dad, I get kind of worried because I'm, I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, what are they going to do? What's going to happen after high school? What's going to happen in college? What's going to happen after college? And, and everybody, you know, what's the plan? And that's, that's kind of my thing. I want to know the plan. And Perry said, well, I didn't fully know everything I wanted to do. And I said, I did. Like at 16, I knew what I wanted to be. I knew what I felt like God had called me to do. And I started the process to get to where I am now. And it bothers me whenever that's not happening. And, and, and what it is, is, is I felt like at that time I was fully engaged. And whenever I became fully engaged in what I felt like God wanted me to do, then nothing else was going to distract me from that. When it comes to serving Christ, it's not about serving him because it makes us feel good. It's not about serving him because we want to be a part of a church. Being a part of a church is great. Feeling good is great. But that's not why we serve Christ. 
Because I'm going to be honest with you, church is going to let you down. At some point, things aren't going to always feel good. Things are going to happen that you're not going to enjoy. And are you willing to be fully engaged? Are you willing to be fully submitted and still hang on when the going gets tough? And so that's what it means to be, to be a follower, to be able to trust and obey. And a little bonus point, so those are, those are the three points of salvation, but a little, little bonus point is I like the fact that it says that he saved the best for last. Whenever it comes to the wine, the master of ceremony said, you saved the very best for the end. And isn't that cool? That's what Jesus does for us. Like Jesus doesn't promise us perfection up front like a lot of other religions will promise. The world is always going to promise you to feel good right now, but in the end, you may not feel good. You think about the extremes. Let's go to drug addiction. That's a very extreme, but in drug addiction, you feel good in the moment. But once you come down off that high, things don't feel so good, right? You you think about something like sexual immorality. You feel good in the moment, but then once you realize what you've done, once you've cheated, now all of a sudden, what do you, now you feel the guilt and the shame. But with Christ, Christ says, listen, man, you're going to have trouble in this world. Like right off the jump, Jesus says, things are going to get bad. But he that endures to the end will be saved. Christ gives us heaven as a hope to look forward to. But there's always going to be something better at the end than at the beginning. And so when it comes to salvation, three, uh, really four things that we need to look at is one, we become one with Christ. Two, we're made new. Three, we've got to be fully committed. And then four, he saves the best for last. But I told you there's two parts to this chapter. So the first part is the wedding. The first part is about the, the, um, the, the two coming together, right? It's about the conversion. But the second part is about the cleansing. Matthew nine seventeen says this, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. I think it's interesting how much... The Bible talks about wine when it comes to salvation. And so I want to look at this for a second. So let's, let's travel. This is the part we're going, to, we're going to hang out in for a few minutes, and then we're going to end the day. We want to end with this cleansing. So verse 13 of chapter 2 is where we're going to go. And here's what verse 13 says. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. We'll pause right there for just a second. A couple of things I want you to notice. Number one, when, it, when the Bible says that Jesus went to the temple and he saw all this stuff happening, we in the Western world don't necessarily understand the, the context of this. I know I didn't always understand it. I just assumed, like, he walked into church and... In the whole temple, there was people selling stuff. Not exactly what's happening. The temple was divided up into different sections. And there was one section that was specifically for Gentiles. Us, right? Non-Jews. And it was the one place where a Gentile could come and pray and seek God. And it was in that one place that people believed that they had all of their shops set up. So not only were they in there changing money, which um, was a, a racket in and of itself, they were also selling sacrifices. So, so people would come in and they would say, I'm, I'm poor, I don't have a, a, a goat, I don't have a dove, I don't have whatever the sacrifice is that's required, and I sure don't have a spotless one. And these guys would sell them, but they would sell them like a crippled lamb for, for extra money, right? And, and so there was all this exchange going on, and they had set up shop in the one place that the Gentiles needed to get to. 
to be able to serve God, to be able to present themselves before God, to be able to pray to God, to be able to connect with God. And I always found that, or I didn't always, I just realized this this week, but I found it interesting that, that that's the one place Jesus says, we got to clean this out. we got to clean this out. It's important to see, too, that Jesus is going to represent, he's going to talk about the temple, but the temple represents something bigger than that. So whenever we get saved, that's great. We become the temple at salvation. What do we become the temple of? We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. It's important for us to see this, that Christ views our body as the temple. And what's happening right now is he is viewing some stuff in our life that doesn't need to be there. There are some things in our life that are getting in the way of our being able to connect with God. Have you ever noticed maybe it's sin or maybe it's just busyness. Maybe it's just work. Maybe it's family things. Maybe it's just your personal, just things that you allow yourself to have that get in the way of your relationship with God. Have there been times in your life when you're like, I know I need to pray, or I know I need to read my Bible, or I know I need to witness to this guy, or I know I, I, know I need to get to church, or I know I need to worship, whatever the case is, but there's just stuff that gets in the way of that. Sometimes it might be sin, and I think sometimes we think that just because we get saved, now, now listen, I believe in salvation, I believe in repentance, I believe in the Holy Spirit filling our lives. Absolutely, I believe in those things. But I also believe that we allow some stuff to hang around us that we need to get rid of. I, I knew a guy one time, and he got saved. Um, he, he showed up at church, gave his heart to Christ, and then the next thing you know, he got arrested for marijuana. Right? Why did he get arrested for marijuana? Well, back then it was illegal, but, but it was because up to that point, he didn't realize marijuana was bad, right? He didn't realize that this was something he wasn't supposed to have, and, and so he got arrested for that. And and he started pulling that stuff out of his life. And you're going to discover things in your life when you give your heart to Christ. You're going to discover some stuff. The closer we get to Christ, the more we're going to see some of ourselves. The more we're going to see some of our past. The the more we're going to see some of our our issues. And those are the things that he wants to clean out. And we've got to be willing to allow him to cleanse the temple. And whenever we do that, we need to understand that cleansing the temple is a process. John chapter 2, if we keep going, verse 15, it says, Jesus made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep, the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture, passion for God's house will consume me. A couple of things I want to point out real real quick here is, number one, some versions say that he braided a whip. So if you just read this version uh, that says he, he made a whip, that could just mean he just picked up a rope and started hitting people. But the Bible says in, in the, the Greek, it says he braided a whip. In other words, it took him some time. How many of you men have ever braided something? Yeah, you braided your kid's hair and it took forever and it didn't look good, right? Whenever I had to take Emma to, to uh, daycare, Perry always wanted Emma's hair to look good. And she always wanted to wear shoes and all the things. And, and I, didn't, I wasn't a good dad all the time. And so I was like, you know what? You're getting a ponytail and that's as far as I can go. Right. I don't braid hair. Why? Because when I try to braid hair, it looks terrible and I don't know how to end it anyway. And so so that you but you think about how long it takes to braid something. So Jesus is looking at all these people doing the wrong things in the temple where they're not supposed to be. 
And so what Jesus does is as he's watching them, he begins to braid his, his whip. Right? He's braiding his whip. It's getting longer and longer and longer. And I'm sure his disciples are like, what? Is he making a belt? Like, what are we doing here? And all of a sudden, he gets to the end. And he's like, all right, let's go to work, you know? And he just starts hitting folks. Some people, are, some people don't know if he hit just the animals or he hit the people. I'm just going to assume he hit everybody. I, I just feel like he just went through and just hit everything and everybody, and he's knocking over the money and kicking a few things. I like to see Jesus kick stuff. That's just in my head, that's what he does. Because the Bible says that passion or zeal for your house consume me. And whenever I think of someone being passionate, I don't think of them walking up to someone and going, just tapping them with the whip and say, hey, buddy, it's time to go. Popping them on the bottom and say, let's get on out of here, pal. I feel like Jesus went in and kicked some tables over. I feel like he hit some people and left a mark or two. Now, maybe he didn't. And when we get to heaven, we'll all find out. But for now, that's the way I feel. Yeah, I bet. That's how, that's how you raised me. That's, that's how people say they see God and the way their dad treated them, and so that's probably where I get that from. Every time I look over at my dad now and I see him braiding something, I'm going to be like, I guess I got something wrong. Um, but, but here's the thing. I think this is what we miss sometimes, is, is when we come to Christ, we love the wedding, We love the transformation, right? We love uh, the belief. What we don't like is the cleansing. Because sometimes the cleansing hurts. Sometimes the cleansing is painful. Sometimes the cleansing is getting rid of some things that you really liked and you wished were there. Sometimes the cleansing is things that you've held on to for years and you don't want to give them up. But the Bible says that Jesus was passionate about it. Whenever we come to Christ and we want to get changed, we need to be passionate about that cleansing. God, I'll do anything to stop this activity. I've told you before, there's a, there's a book I read uh, a long time ago. Uh, I think the guy's name is James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. It's a, it's a pretty good book. Um, and in Atomic Habits, one of the things he talks about is uh, people being addicted. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. He talks about people being addicted to like, watching TV. And he says one guy that he knew that was addicted to watching TV pulled his TV off the wall, put it in the closet, and locked the door. And he said now, anytime that guy wants to watch TV, he has to really want to watch TV, right? And what did he do? He went to an extreme measure to try to break a system in his life that wasn't good. And what we want sometimes is we want to be able to sit in our seat on a Sunday morning knowing that we've got an addiction, knowing that we've got a a, a sin, knowing that we've got an issue in our past, and we want to just sit in our seat and we want to just pray quietly to ourselves, God, please take care of this issue. Please don't let my wife find out that I'm praying about this. God, my boss comes to church with me. Please don't let him know that I'm dealing with this issue as opposed to doing whatever it takes. If you really want to change, you got to be willing to be passionate about transformation. Here's the thing. Cleansing is a process. There's three parts of cleansing that's a process. Number one is conviction. Number two is repentance. And number three is resistance. Conviction, repentance, resistance. The conviction part, the Holy Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness. In other words, he, he convicts us of things we're doing wrong and also convicts us of things we should be doing right. We had this dog one time. His name was Bo, and 
Bo's dead now, but um, when he was alive, Bo would eat anything. Anything. He was like a trash compactor. Bo could eat, like, like literally one time um, we, we found this, this, this rotten old, you know, diseased beaver on the property, and, and Bo started eating the beaver. It was dead, and he started eating it. I was like, there's, there's no way he's going to survive. Like, he's about to die. You know what I mean? Like, Bo was fine, man. He's good. Bo, every, uh, every day whenever I would make break, uh, breakfast and I'd cook some bacon, I would take the bacon grease and pour it in Bo's food, and he would go in there, and he would eat all that food and loved it. I mean, just loved it. And then Bo died, and, and we've got, um, not from that, not from that. He tried to eat a car one time, and the car was moving, and, you know, those two things don't go well together. And so Bo passed away, and, and, um, and, and, then, and then we got Nola. And, and so Nola's our other dog, and, and, and Nola's a tough dog. I mean, she's, she's half German Shepherd, half Boxer. Like, this is, these are two tough breeds. Like, she's not some little Pikachu or Pekingese or whatever y'all have. Um, she's a pretty tough, big, uh, rambunctious dog. And so, and so I'm thinking Nola's going to be like Bo. And so, so I remember the first time I gave Nola the bacon grease, and I, I cooked some bacon. I poured the grass over. You're going to love this. I poured the bacon grease all on her food, and, and she gobbled it up. She did love it. But about 3 o'clock in the morning, she comes in my room, and she starts nuzzling me and licking me and, and, and whining. And I was just like, get out of here, dog. And she came back in at 3.30, and she's nuzzling me. Get out of here. Go get on your bed. She came back in, and she just kept coming back in, and I kept ignoring her. And then the next morning, I got up, and there was puke all over my house. I mean, she... And she didn't just puke in one spot. She puked in about six spots. And she didn't puke on the hardwood floor that'd be easy to clean. She puked on the carpet. Everywhere there was a rug, she puked on it. She found it. She was like, you're going to ignore me? I'll show you something. I'm going to throw up on everything. And yet we do that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says something's wrong and he keeps nudging us and he keeps nudging us and we keep saying, get out of here, move on, leave me alone. This is my activity. This is my addiction. This is my freedom. I can do what I want to do. Leave me alone, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit continues to nudge us. But the Bible says that God's not going to continue to nudge you. At some point, he's going to let you go. He's going to let you do what you want to do. It's not going to be puke that we find on the floor, right? So I want us to make sure that we understand that there's conviction and that's important, but there's also repentance. In Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 36 through 38, the Bible says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That's belief. Like, we've got to believe in Christ. But 37 says, And Peter's words pierced them to the hearts. That's conviction. And they said, What should we do? Verse 38, Peter said, Each of you must repent of your sins, plural, and turn to God. Listen. We've got to be willing to confess and repent. We've got to be willing to go to somebody and get some help. Man, you sitting in your chair um, hoping every Sunday that God's going to magically transform you without you going to someone and talking to somebody and get some accountability and getting some help. It, it's a, you're lying to yourself. I can't tell you how many times I've sat on a seat just like this and, and I wanted to go get someone to pray with me. I wanted to go get some, to have a conversation with somebody and talk to them about my issues and talk to them about my problems. But I held on because I'm like, I don't want anybody to think worse of me. And what I discovered is I was too afraid of what man thought, not afraid of what God thought. It's important that we get some help. So, so Peter says, you got to repent. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So conviction, repentance. And then the third part of, of transformation, the third part of cleansing the temple is uh, James 4, 7 and 8. It says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Resist the devil. The Bible says Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't sin. And and I'm not saying that that we're all going to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without sin. But what I'm going to tell you is you've got to learn to resist those temptations. How do I resist temptation, Pastor? Avoid, first of all, avoid the places where temptation can get you. Avoid the places. Speaking of kids and speaking of parenting, we've had conversations with, with all, well, I say all three of our kids, with two of our kids about dating. And one of the things we tell them is, at, at this point, you're not going to go be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Why? Is it because I don't trust them? Nope. Is it because I don't trust the other person? Probably. No, I'm just kidding. Nope. It's because I don't trust the devil. I don't trust the devil. And if we put ourselves in a place of temptation, then what we're doing is we're giving him a foothold. Maybe there's an issue in your life today. Maybe there's something going on in your, in your life. There's a, a, I'm, I'm going to use the word addiction a lot, but addiction doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol, Right? It doesn't have to just be sexual addiction. Addiction can be anything. Addiction can be TV. Addiction can be um, food. Like we can have all kinds of addictions in our life. Things, an addiction is something that's got a hold of us. Don't continue to put yourself in a place where that addiction can get a foothold. The Bible says don't give the devil a foothold in your life. And the third part of transformation or third part of the cleansing is this. We've got to pursue transformation, not gratification. And, And we'll end here. If we read down, if we read down, there's a whole argument that they have, the, the religious people have with Jesus, and, and, um, and we're going to skip that part. But if we pick up verse 23, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Let me go back up to verse 24. But Jesus didn't trust them. Some versions say Jesus didn't believe them. Some versions say Jesus didn't commit himself to them. I find this, A, intriguing, and B, a little scary. It says, many people saw the signs and they believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't trust them. What does that mean? A lot of people want to be entertained. They don't want to be transformed. A lot of times in church, we want to go somewhere where the preacher's funny or has really good thoughts. I don't know why you're here, you know. We want to go somewhere where the music is just right and the lights are are great and the the system is set up and the kids are perfect. And the, we want to go somewhere. And I'm not saying those things are bad. By all means, please trust me. We strive for excellence. We want to do our very best job to honor God and to, and to do well with what he's given us. But if my only reason for going to church is to be entertained on a Sunday, then I'm going to church for the wrong reason. And the Bible says that a lot of people believed, but Jesus 
didn't trust them. And it reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Bible says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. I just heard a preacher, if you want to call her that, um, someone sent me this clip uh, on the internet and, and, and this lady is, is preaching and she's talking about uh, the, the Old Testament. She's talking about how Adam and Eve um, were tempted by the snake and, and she says, did you realize that God lied to Adam and Eve? And she begins to present God as this liar that, that, that God is kind of poking the bear that's stirring the pot and he's using lying to get Adam and Eve stirred up and he says, and she, she says, But then the serpent comes, and the serpent is the truth bearer. Now what she's doing is, she's twisting the scriptures, obviously, and and what she's doing is she's trying to take the scriptures and trying to turn it into, I didn't hear the whole message, but what she's wanting to do is she's wanting to set the people up that you can do whatever you want to do in life, and it's okay. People are going to gravitate to things that make them feel good, that entertain them. That's just what we do. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking, he says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, as, uh, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Verse 21 Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is is powerful. This is very powerful. It's very convicting. and, And to be honest with you, a little bit scary in the sense of there's a lot of people in this world They love to go to church. They love to listen to sermons. They love to listen to worship music. But we treat the worship as a concert. We we treat treat the sermons as a TED talk. We treat church as like a social club. And God loses all meaning in that. And we've got the label and we've got the t-shirt and we've got all the things around us. But Jesus says, only those who actually do the will of my Father like, it's not about what you name, it's about what you do. So our church is, is half church, half gym, right? You guys know that. And, and CrossFit and Andrew, they, they do a great job of trying to hide all the gym stuff as best they can. But we all know there's a pull-up rig behind that curtain, right? We all know that, we get it. But have you ever met somebody that tells you that they go to the gym, any gym, but you look at them, and you're like, I don't think you do. <laughs> right? Someone comes up to you, and they're like, yeah, I go to the gym, I work out. And you're like, did you just start tomorrow? Like, when did you start going to the gym? Because you just walked three feet over to me, and you're breathing heavy. Like, let's talk about this for a second. But they say, no, I go to the gym, and, 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 and here's what they do. They go to the gym, and they bought the, the gym t-shirt, and they put it on. And they're walking around with their gym t-shirt, and they, they've got a membership to the gym, right? 
They got a membership to the gym, and they show up at the gym on occasion. My, my brother-in-law is, is a great example of this. Not this brother-in-law. My other brother-in-law. My other brother-in-law used to be members at the YMCA, man. We'd go in there and be like, let's go hit it hard today. Let's go work out. And I was very motivated. And we'd get in there and we would do one set of, of squats. And Jesse would look at me and be like, you know what we need? I'm like, what? More squats? More weight? And he'd be like, we need to go get in that hot tub. And I'd be like, dang, you're right. Sometimes we go to the gym because we want all the perks, but we don't want all the work. And you can say you're a member of the gym, but if you're not putting in the work, there's no transformation that's going to happen. And I'm not saying we're saved by works. Don't even start sending me emails yet. But what I am saying is this. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Why don't you stand up with me today? Now, my goal today was not to tell everybody you're a bunch of fake Christians and you all need to get saved. That's not my goal. My goal today is to expose the idea that there's two parts of of being born again. There's the conversion part, the transformation part, the, the, hey, I was living this old way and now I'm, I'm changed in Christ. There was a, you know, water into wine. And then there's a cleansing part. There's a conversion, I believe, and there's a cleansing, I repent. And I think sometimes we get stuck in one or the other. Sometimes we get stuck in this I repent part without really believing in the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And we feel like it is all about my works. It's all about what I can do to make myself right. And sometimes we get stuck in this this grace side, this conversion side, where all we have to do is believe and everything's going to be okay. And I think there's got to be both. And listen, it's not something I feel like we ever stop doing. The Bible says that we believe and go on believing. Every day when we wake up, we believe. The Bible says we're transformed over and over and over until we get to be in the image of Christ. So there's this goal of the image of Christ. And I don't know about you, but the last time I looked in the mirror, I don't look much like him. Which means I got a ways to go. And at our church, one of the things we offer every Sunday is we offer you a, a first contact, a place where you can come and get prayer. We've got a prayer team of people that we trust and we're training and we're developing to, to really help um, each and every one of you as you need prayer. But, but what that is, is whenever you step out of your seat in a few minutes, if you need prayer for anything, whether that's, I need to be born again, I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ, or, hey, I've got an issue in the temple that I need clean, cleaned out. Whatever the issue is today, we want to pray with you about that. And this is a first touch. This is a place where we can pray with you the first time. If you need something beyond that, we'll, we'll send you to somebody. We'll help you get the help that you need, the accountability you need to get some freedom in your life. But, but I want to encourage you. Take that first step. Take that first step. If you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ or you need to deal with something that's going on, maybe the issue in your life that's keeping you is anxiety and fear. Maybe it's worry. We all deal with that stuff. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And as I pray, prayer team's going to come down to the front and they're going to line up across the front of the building. And if you need prayer when I get done praying, we're going to sing one more song. And as we sing that song, you just slip out of your seat and you come down and let somebody pray with you and then you can go back to your seat. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to step into your house. We ask today that you would speak to our hearts. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to convict us. Convict us of, of righteousness. Convict us of sin. 
God, just, just like the dog illustration, don't let us ignore you and keep sending you out. But God, I just pray that we would receive all that you have for us today. God, just like Mary told the servants, just do whatever he says. God, today I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to obey whatever it is that you tell us to do. So Lord God, we invite you into this place and we invite you in our hearts and our lives. And we just ask today that you would change us and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.